0: Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. So this morning we're starting an entirely new challenge. We've called them challenges before and I really want us to get back to calling them challenges and to make it your challenge, not us as a church, but you individually as well, and uh, this one is about growing your faith. Now, my father-in-law was a very good gardener. He started off, though, not with a little garden. Well, he probably did start with a little garden when he was a boy, but he had a 4,000-acre property in northwest New South Wales with sheep and cattle and wheat, and he needed it to grow. He needed to learn how to be really good at it for his family, but also our farmers need to know how to do it well for our nation and beyond, because we all need food. When he retired, he ended up in a little duplex down here in Ellamorevale, Vale, and he had this tiny little patch of garden, and he could grow the most amazing spinach, tomatoes, everything you could imagine in that little patch of garden. Now, Graham, his son, my husband, he tried this during COVID and it failed. All that happened to him in that was um, he was attacked by an owl one night and that was the end of his gardening. But, you know, we need people like that. We, most of us here, some of you are probably amazing gardeners, I'm not, but most of us just rely on the supermarkets having food. And sometimes I think we're like that with faith. Most of the time we rely on someone else to have faith. But God, I believe, wants to raise up a generation of followers of him you actually provide the faith food that people need. How much do you love a person of faith? You know, when you go through, <clears throat> when you go through a hard time, you know who you're going to go to. You're going to go to the person of faith. You're not going to go to the person who says, mm, yeah, that's really bad. It's probably going to get worse. That's not who you go to. You get to the person who actually... You don't, you don't actually go to the person who just says, oh, well, God is good. You go to the person who sits with you and relates to you and understands you and gradually builds your hope. The Holy Spirit is like that. And I believe that God wants all of us over the next six weeks to grow in our faith. Now, you could say, well, I I have faith because I'm a Christian. But, you know, there's been many times I said to someone once, I'm losing my faith. what? I said, in this particular situation, I can feel that I just worry all the time. And we need to be honest with ourselves and say there's sometimes you worry about something you have no faith for that situation. But we say, no, I do have faith because I'm a Christian. There is a big difference between turning up to church every week, even reading your Bible, but actually having faith, actually having faith in the God who sent his son into the world to to die for us, to beat the power of sin and death in his resurrection to fill us with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we live life just like anyone who doesn't know Jesus. And God wants us to grow in our faith. I have faith in his death and his resurrection, but there are times in my life when I don't live – thanks, Nathan – like uh, someone who has amazing faith. And that's what God wants to do in us. And so I just want to set the scene for this today. Hebrews 11.1, 1, great chapter on faith, starts off with this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And then it goes on in verse 6 to say this, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So two things. Many of us believe that he exists, but we don't have the hope that he's going to do something extraordinary as we put our faith and trust in him. And that's something you go through your whole life. In fact, Jesus said, he tells a story about this persistent widow who goes to a judge and she He's taught, he's, the purpose of his story is to keep praying and not giving up, okay, not give up. But at the end of his story, he says, you know, she got the answer to her prayer. But at the end, he says to his listeners, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Or in the message translation, it says, how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on earth when he returns? And what you see happening in life is that people move themselves from their faith in the God who does extraordinary things through the ups and downs of life, and particularly the downs of life, and God wants to strengthen our faith. And in James one, we read this: "Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity to great, for great joy." Is that one of your favourite memory verses? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect to complete, needing nothing. So there's something that happens in our lives and um, there's this kind of this thought in, in the world that comes into the followers of Jesus that good things mean you're doing well in faith and bad things mean you failed or you're being punished or something like that. It's not true. Consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds because now your faith is being developed. So if you see yourself, imagine you're sitting before a garden and you've got to grow something because God is saying to you, I want you to grow in faith because the world needs you to be full of faith. So rather than you thinking of who I'm, I'm i going to go to to be that person who's full of faith. Can I be the person with faith so that when anyone needs faith, I have a garden full of food to feed them? That's the sort of person God wants you to be. And what we need to understand is that our faith, it goes through, we go through tough times where our faith is sorely tested And you choose what you do with your faith and it all comes down to your decision and relying on the heart and the spirit of God to enable your faith to grow so that it becomes a beautiful wheat field or it becomes a massive spinach plant or it becomes something that you can hang on to and you don't even realise at first that it's happening. I think in um, Psalm 42 it describes this journey of faith and what it actually is because I think sometimes we think faith is just believing for one thing to happen okay and it's kind of external but it's actually a depth of intimacy with God where you know him so much that trust in him comes inadvertently you don't even realize that you have it it's like someone you know so well that you know you could call them at any time and they would be there and you don't even have to think twice about it you know if if i called graham my, my husband any any time ...I know that if I call him and he doesn't answer the phone, he will call as soon as he sees it. I have that trust in him. As soon as he sees there was a missed call from me, I will receive a call regardless of what he's doing. He will come. I remember when Phoebe, my daughter, and I were driving along one day... ...at about 4.30 on a Friday afternoon and we're about to cross Glebe Road and City Road. And um, I rang him and said, there's something really funny with the car. We're at the lights. He goes, what is it? I said, I don't know, but it's really making strange sounds. I said, no, no, it's all right. The lights have changed. We'll be across this massive intersection in a second. And when we got to the very middle of the intersection, 4.30 in a Friday afternoon, it stopped. And we both go, no! He goes, I'm coming! (laughs) So... Other people helped us get through. There's a faith that is, it's like it comes from a deep intimacy. So it's not just you imagining something good happening. It's actually, it's developed in your deepest intimacy with God. And actually your faith is actually when you know him, not just when you think he has power and he can do things. That is more likely when your faith is going to be lost because if something doesn't go well, you think he let you down. But if you know him deeply, intimately in your heart – your faith is ready to grow. And so to grow, you actually have to make sure that you are going deeper in your relationship with him, knowing his character, knowing his nature. Otherwise, your faith is very much an external thing and it will be fragile. And when something doesn't go your way, there's a high chance you'll lose your faith. So your faith actually has to be in the character and the nature of God, actually who he is, and you have to learn what it means to experience his presence, not just to hear about it, not just to read about it, not to hear someone else's story, but to actually experience his presence, like a person that you know really well, but even far deeper, because the people I know really well who really love me still can't understand my thoughts, and sometimes they can't understand why I do and say the things I do and say, but the Holy Spirit does. And and that's the sort of the intimate relationship that you are called into because everyone is yearning for that. We're yearning for other relationships and things in our lives to to fill that deep inner need. But actually what you're yearning for is this deep relationship, a two-way relationship with the God who created you, who loves you. And when you have that, you have faith because you know him intimately. You know what to expect. You know how to cope with your disappointments and your sorrows and you know who to praise in your joys. And so in the Psalms, King David writes this, and this tells you a lot about him. We're going to hear a little bit about him in a moment. He says, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. That's the beginning of a journey of faith. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? And then he says this. This is what you need to grow in faith, as much as we don't want it. Day and night, I only have tears for food. ...while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking, as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshippers leading a great procession to the house of God... ...singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. You know when you go through a hard time, you remember, I wish it could be like this. That's what he's doing. So you may not have um, led a great procession to the house of God... But something good will have happened and you wish you could have that back again. That's what he's doing. And then he says this to himself. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my saviour and my God. So here you have a man who has learnt how to develop, how to grow his faith. And he realises a barrier in his discouragement and his sorrow has come between him and God. And he's going to do something intentional about it. He's going to put his hope in God. He will praise him. That's how he'll start to put his hope in God. He will start to praise him. Regardless of what he's going through, there'll be this faith that God is going to use every situation that he's put him through to grow his faith and to bring him closer to him. And you're sitting here today and each of you has a situation. And in that situation, you can either push away from God or you can thank him for the situation that through this, he's going to grow your intimacy with him, which will grow your faith. It has to be your intimacy with him first to grow your faith. Now let's have a look at this guy, David. Um, is a little story about how to grow your faith. And uh, some of you will know this story really well. Um, this is the story of David with Goliath. And if you don't know it, this is a good story. So I'm reading from um, 1 Samuel 17. And it says, The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Sokor in Judah and Azakar at Ephes-Damen. Saul counted by gathering his Israelite troops in the Valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. So you get the picture. It's the way they used to fight battles. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armour, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armour bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. Now you get this picture to see how impossible the situation is and so you can translate that the nine feet tall man the bronze helmet the bronze coat of mail 125 pounds the bronze leg armor the bronze javelin etc the iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds and translate that to something you're facing and sometimes something you're facing can look as enormous as that in other words it's impenetrable it's bigger than you it's, it's overwhelming. That's the situation. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called, I'm the Philistine champion, but you're only the servants of Saul. So his language is saying, You are nothing. That's what the enemy likes to do to you. Why would, why would God even ha- answer my prayers? I'm nothing. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now just remember, the Israelites are the people of God. And they're terrified and deeply shaken. But before we laugh at them, just remember that you and I, or at least I, have stood before many Goliaths in my life. And I've been terrified and deeply shaken. Have you? And at that moment, at the moment when you're terrified and deeply shaken, you look at yourself and you look at God and you realise that you need to grow in faith because the Goliath looks too big. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time and he had eight sons. Jesse's three older sons, Eliab, Abinadab and Shimeah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three older brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. So you've got David now. He comes into the story. So you have mighty Israelite army, mighty Goliath, people of God, And then you have this youngest boy who looks after sheep. He comes into the story. And as this youngest boy who looks after sheep comes into the story, what everyone needs now is a perspective shift because the power that people are looking at here is the power of Saul's army, the power of the Philistine army and the power of Goliath. And no one has brought into play another power. And you and I can do this in our life all the time. You can look at your strength or weakness. You can look at the power of the situation around you. But we forget another power that comes differently and our eyes are not on it. And you need a perspective shift. And so in 1 Samuel 17, 26, we've got David. He comes down uh, because his dad sends him down with some food for his brothers. And he comes down and he sees what's going on. And they even say to him, have you heard what's happening? Have you heard what's happening about this guy, Goliath? And it's really, it's like scary and it's impenetrable and like we're doomed and we really, really do not know what to do. And in comes the young guy. And he asks the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? And then he says, who is this pagan Philistine anyway? These he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God. Now what you see there is a totally different perspective on the entire situation totally different perspective and how do you get that perspective because to get that perspective like you and I can sit there and we can go home and we can say yeah isn't that amazing but actually God's saying he doesn't want you just to say that's amazing that David had that perspective or as we know in the end of the story he actually defeats Goliath Uh, but we will come back to that he doesn't want you to know that David had that perspective he wants you to have that perspective and how are you going to get that perspective Because it's great to read stories of faith. It's great to hear about stories of faith. It's great to see people's victory. It's great to read books about them, watch movies about them. But how do you become that person? What do you do? So I just want to take a moment to look at what David did. Now, the reason that David could come with this perspective is that he has been spending a lot. He didn't just walk into the situation and go, hey, I've got faith. He's been practicing for a long time. And you can see it through the Psalms that David has spent a lot of time alone with struggles that he's had to overcome by himself. He's had to protect his sheep. He's had to kill lions and bears. He's had to endure silence and solitude. And therefore we have a book of Psalms that's full of worship. The book of Psalms showed the Psalm 42 I just read. Honest about your troubles but only one person to rely on and keep coming back to him so David has gone on this journey so that when he walks into this situation because he is so immersed in who God is he sees it from a different perspective and you will only see it from a different perspective when you're immersed in who God is so for our faith challenge I want you to choose how you would do that and uh, I've been reading a, a book called Nine Sacred Pathways for Drawing Near to God by a man called Gary Thomas. And what he unpacks in this book is that we all draw near to God in uh, similar ways, but we have different strengths and, and in the ways that we draw near to God. I just want to show them to you briefly because I, I think that in you, if I came to you, if you came to me, sorry, and said, how do you draw near to God? And I say, well, this is what I do, so this is what you should do. It may not, you may draw near differently you may draw near the same but you may draw near differently and your relationship with God is so precious you need to learn how to tender your tend your relationship yourself and uh and so there may be more ways than this this Gary Thomas presents these nine ways but I want to have a look at them and and help us see that help us to understand who we are and as we gather together on a Sunday, we come and we worship in different ways. And even parts of the worship, some of you will love more than others because of who you are. And sometimes you will say, I don't think we should be doing that. And someone else will say, I love to do that. And something this is how different denominations start when people worship in different ways. And my vision would that we'd be a church of people who can appreciate that we all worship in different ways. And, uh, and see someone worshipping and love the way they worship and also appreciate the way someone else worships and someone else prays and encourage each other as we do that. So briefly here they are and you'll probably see yourself in a few of them and but what I would love us to do is to see what can I put into my life as this week goes on and next that actually Draws me into a deeper intimacy with God. So here they are, naturalists, loving God outdoors. And I look at Bob and Evelyn over here who've written beautiful books and they're about to write another one. When I read their books, I start to see more fully the wonder of God in creation. It's beautiful. But they have a gift of leading people into that. Naturalists go deeper in their love for God by surrounding and immersing themselves with all that he has made. They see God in everything and are replenished by being outdoors and connect best with God through nature. You know, King David did that. He says, uh, when I look to the heavens, he talks about the streams. Psalm 23 talks about the streams of, of living water and, and the green pastures and, and he sees God in, the na- in nature. And Most of us do, but some of us do amazingly grow intimately with God when we're just surrounded by nature. The senses, loving God with the senses. Sensets go deep, deeper in their love for God by using all of their senses to become lost in the awe and beauty and splendor of God. When they worship, they want to be filled with sights, sounds, and smells that overwhelm them. You might think, who's that? He writes and he talks about people like Orthodox Christians who do that, but also as Graeme and I were discussing this, this is the thing a love I have when we um, do things in um, in the theaters because you can block out everything else and you just create a beautiful atmosphere where people can be immersed in the love of God in, in the company of other people. Traditionists, loving God through ritual and symbol. Traditionalists go deeper in their love for God through rituals, symbols and sacraments. They have a need for structure and discipline in their worship. Ascetics, loving God in silence, solitude and simplicity. Ascetics go deeper in their love for God by getting away from the noise of the world and being alone with God. Their faith is more internal than external. They desire to live a simple life, characterised by personal austerity and in a manner that allows for silence, prayer and acts of devotion to God. Activists, loving God through obedience. Activists go deeper in their love for God by passionately confronting injustice, standing against evil and doing great things for God. They energise both social, missional and evangelistic causes. Caregivers, loving God by loving and serving others. Caregivers go deeper in their love for God by serving others in his name. They're energised and sense God's presence when they are loving their neighbours and caring for the least of these. Enthusiasts, loving God with delight and celebration. Enthusiasts go deeper in their love for God through excitement, praise and emotion. They have their hearts moved and inspired by experiencing joyful, expressive and celebrative worship. Contemplatives, loving God through adoration Contemplatives go deeper in their love for God through private prayer, adoration, reflection, introspection, and listening to God. They avoid anything that chokes out their love of God and have a large capacity for prayer. The image of, of God as loving father and, and friend best characterise their view of God. Intellectuals loving God with the mind. Intellectuals go deeper in their love for God through study, robust discussion, and stimulation of their minds. They feel closest to God when they learn something new about him. Did you see yourself in a couple of those? And something that, we, you know, because like when I first read that and you get to contemplatives, I think, yeah, but that's the best one. Obviously, that's the one. That's the way I, I engage with God. But I use lots of those different ways to engage with God. But when you see it, this is what I see. To understand how you engage with God. So the way I have my quiet time will be more in that contemplative thing. But it might be totally different for you. So don't try to copy me. Be you with God as you get into the scriptures. You need the scriptures because you need his word of truth that you meditate on in some way. But what we tend to do is then when we find our way, we think our way is superior because we're so egocentric. And so you can come to church on a Sunday and you can have someone who's leaping around and calling out amen all through the sermon. And sometimes if you're a silence and solitude person, you can look and think shallow, <laughs> totally shallow. <End> <laughs> And if you're an exuberant person, you can think everyone should be down the front here dancing. And someone says, I just want to be in the back corner. Just, I just need to be quiet. Because we think everybody is us. And what I want to challenge us to do is not to think everybody is us. And not to look sup- with a superior attitude at different people's ways of engaging with God. But to encourage each other in our faith to not give up gathering together as we do because we need to encourage each other because we're in a time where a lot of people have given up gathering together and the meeting together is incredibly important for building up the faith of one another. But as we gather together to realise that we are different and we do engage in different ways and then we go off during the week and engage with God every day so that you get to know him more. And because David was a man who did this, or a boy who did this, because he'd learnt to experience God in nature and he'd learnt to experience God in silence and solitude, but also in exuberant worship, even one time later on, his wife is embarrassed with his exuberant worship. And he's contemplative, he, he probably embraces most of those ways of engaging with God. And you probably do to a certain extent as well. But you, this is you who God made you and he made you in a way to engage with him in a way that leads to deep intimacy with him which will lead to faith. And because David had been a person like this, when he walked into this situation his perspective was different. He didn't try to be different, he's already thought differently. And I believe that God is saying to you and to me that if you could spend more time just embracing that beautiful relationship that he's offered you, you will walk into situations and you will see them differently without trying. You'll just have a different perspective. You'll suddenly see it differently and you'll have the faith. You won't have to walk in the situation looking for faith. You'll walk into the situation with it because you know the one who has the power over life and death. You'll know the God who is sovereign. And even in your darkest moments, you will still know that he is sovereign. That in the sovereignty of God, he allows things to happen. But if we put our faith and trust in him, he will work all things together for good. And so we have this situation now with David... And this is what he goes the king King Saul hears that there's this boy running around saying this isn't a problem, and he says, I want to speak to him. And David says this, Don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. So so Saul brings in this different perspective. Look look at you. Okay? Boy, man of war. Boy, man of war. David cannot see it from that perspective. He's not trying to be difficult and he's not trying to be different. And sometimes we can try to be different or we can try to be difficult. And he's not. He just has this perspective because he's so intimate with the power, and the nature of God. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. At this point, Saul says, probably thinks, big deal. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he's defied the armies of the living God. For his perspective is much bigger than just the safety of the Israelite army. It's actually the honour and glory of God. His perspective is not just about himself and it's just not about the Israelite people. It's actually about the honour and glory of God. That's the thing that gets him most worked up. And when your faith is deep, the reason that you will do anything in life is firstly for the honour and glory of God. Not for your self-protection, it's for the honour and glory of God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you because he's probably thinking because nothing else is going to save you. Then Saul gave David his own armour, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it and took a step or two to see what it was like for he'd never worn such things before. So this is this man's way of going into battle. And David puts it on, he thinks, "I, I don't know how to do this. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. And the point is for you and me here is that you need to go into a place of intimacy with God that you become totally familiar with so that when you are faced with a battle where your faith needs to rise up, you have a way of going into battle in prayer, in, in relying on the truth from the scriptures. You have the word of God planted firmly in your heart and your mind, and you are ready. They become your stones. They become your slingshot because, you know, they become your sword um, as the scripture says, that the um, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. You go in with that planted firmly in your heart, and whatever you need to do to get the word of God planted firmly in your heart, do it. If it's singing songs, do it. If it's contemplative prayer, do whatever it is. Get the word of God planted firmly in your heart so your weapon is ready as soon as you encounter the situation. He did not know he was going to encounter this situation. You don't know what you're going to encounter this afternoon or tomorrow or during the week. But if you've spent time with the Lord and you've got your weapon of the word of God ready, then you will be ready and you'll see it from a different perspective. Then armed with Only his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. And he won. Spoiler alert if you've never read the end of the story. You know, in everything that we do to grow in our faith, our aim is to have faith in God for his honour and glory. It's always for his honour and glory. If, if If you lower it to anything else, you are likely to lose faith because you don't have a larger perspective. You might have to go on home and reflect on that one. If you lower it to anything else, you, you probably will lose faith in your life because it was all about you. But if you can expand your vision of your purpose for being in this world, that you live for the honor and glory of God, and that will drive your faith. So to, to grow in faith, and we're going to finish up now, to grow in faith, firstly, what is your perspective? Is it all about you or do you believe that God has placed you here for a big purpose and that you are called to grow as a person of faith, not just for yourself, for other people and ultimately for his honour and glory? And how will you do that? So the challenge today is actually how are you going to do that? Firstly, to want to grow in faith, but then how are you going to do that? And will it always be easy? And perhaps you need someone to pray with you this morning to help you discern how you could grow in faith, how you could get the word of God planted in your heart and not just in your head but deep in your heart so that you actually believe it. So you can be a person who goes into any situation with faith but also you can be an encourager of of people because we need to understand as we grow together that all of us will face a challenge where our faith feels very, very weak and how can we be people who help each other grow in faith in our small groups. In our prayer meetings, in our ministries, when we serve together, how can we be people who encourage each other with the character and the nature of who our amazing God really is so that we can put our trust in him? So let's pray. Father, for each of us here, we have a greater capacity for faith than we realise because you created us with that capacity. And Lord, we thank you, as it says in James, for everything that we may be facing at the moment because through this... You can grow our faith if we let you. And I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we will let you to begin with and that you'll help us all find that way where we can grow in a deeper, intimate relationship with you, where we know you. We actually know you. We experience the power of your love. We experience the, the reality of your presence. We experience your incredible love for us and the infilling of your Holy Spirit, where we believe that you've planted us here on this earth for your honour and your glory, and that as we put our faith and our trust in you in all circumstances, you will work all things together for good, and you will be honoured and glorified, and we are loved and protected by you. So, Father, I pray for each one of us, increase our faith. And may we, wherever we are today, whether we have the tiniest, tiniest little mustard seed of faith. We feel like we've got a pretty big field of faith. May it expand. Perhaps if we're here today with no faith, Lord, just drop that seed into our hearts so that we have something to start tending and nurturing that would grow. And we know you don't despise where any of us are, Lord. You love where each one of us is. And as we come to you, you love to grow us in that depth of relationship with you.